0: What do pickles have to do with your salvation? That's what we're going to talk about on The Deep Dive. Welcome in, everybody. My name is Tim, and welcome to the channel. And make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. And do so before you watch the content, because I guarantee you're going to appreciate the content. Make sure you like the video, hit that notification bell to get notified through your smartphone every time we go live. My name is Tim, this is Tim Hatch Live, and we are in a Bible study on the book of Romans. It is Season 5, Episode 12 of The Deep Dive Bible Study. So, pickles and the gospel. How do they come together? We're going to talk about that, because in Romans Chapter 6, it's time to see how God changes Us, through the gospel. All right, question of the day is, are you uh, a dill pickle person or a sweet pickle person? I am a dill pickle person. My wife gets these things. These are little daily bites, little little pickle snaps anyway delicious dill pickles dill pickles <laughs> today Romans chapter 6 we turn a page ladies and gentlemen over here on the Bible cam we are going into a part portion of Romans that's going to go from chapter 6 through chapter 7 and all the way through chapter 8 and you can see that This is a long section, okay? Got to do two-page turns. No, three-page turns in the Bible to get to the end of this section. And we are going to take our time, and I'm so glad that this came around right now. It's the end of December, and your New Year's resolution for 2022 is right around the corner. And I want to tell you something. Did you know that New Year's resolutions are officially ended every year on a regular basis on january 12th (laughs) yeah january 12th according to the new york post is when new year's resolutions end yes they they don't even make it a month ladies and gentlemen research conducted by strava the social network for athletes discovered that january well saturday january 12th in that year anyway is the fateful day of new year's resolutions why can't we change Do you ever ask yourself that question? Why can't I change? Well, that's what Romans chapter six to eight is about. It's about how real change happens, real change. Not, not, oh, I'm gonna exercise more. (laughs) Not, um, I'm gonna try to be more patient and kind. Look, I've got bad news for you. You cannot change. You cannot change, that's the bad news. The good news is that God can change you. In fact, that's what the gospel is all about. This is what it's meant to do and it might be a a long process it might take longer than you want it might not change in the way that you want it but it's always worth it the change that god provides in our lives it it takes time it takes some effort on your part it also takes some key understandings of what it means to be a christian and so the gospel is not about just getting you to heaven it's about changing you into the image of Jesus Christ, right? We're going to get to that at the end of Romans 8, where he talks about that God predestined you not to not to just get to heaven. So many people whittle Christianity down. No, I just want to get to heaven. No, God predestined you not to get to heaven, but to be conformed to the image of his son. So the bad news, though, is that you cannot change. The good news is that God can change you. And let's be honest, it's painful. It can be tiring at times. It may seem slow, but a life in Christ will be a changed life in the end. Yes, you will change. So with that in mind, let's pray and ask God to speak to our hearts for this passage of Scripture. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that we will have ears to hear what you would say, Lord God, that our hearts will be submitted and surrendered to the Word, open, and may they be good soil on which your seed can fall and take root below to bear fruit above. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Okay, first, Paul gets to a question that he got a lot. He got a lot. I know he got a lot because this is a question that he foresaw um, his his audience asking in response to the doctrines of grace that he has been unpacking for, oh, the first five chapters of Romans. And the inevitable question, when you encounter God's saving grace, that God saved you in spite of your sin and apart from works of the law and good people, bad people, really good people, really horrible people, all come to saving grace freely through Jesus Christ, then the question is, well, maybe we should just go ahead and sin, right? Because the argument that Paul made was that his righteousness is revealed through the wrath that's revealed, right? Righteousness, then wrath upon sin, and then the condemnation of all as sinners that are hopeless and helpless before God, but are freely justified by his grace, Romans 3.23, right? All of sin fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.24 and are justified freely by his grace. Okay, so if if that's true and and hear me, this is important. When the gospel is preached properly, people are going to ask this question. In fact, you might not be telling someone the gospel clearly enough if they don't come to this question of, well, maybe we should just sin. Heck, if it exalts, if if it exalts God's grace, if it makes his grace abound, let me go on and sin. So, Let me just get right to doctrine time a little bit earlier today than normal. The idea that God's grace is a license to sin is a doctrine called antinomianism, and it's not really a doctrine. It's just kind of like a definition. It's kind of like a word, a word that we get from the Greek, anti, against, namas, law. Antinomianism means God's grace means we get to break the law. So... When Scripture says that believers are not under the law, it means that now there's no moral binding upon believers in any sense in in terms of the law. And is that true? And we need to discuss if it is. Uh, or a believer may sin with impunity because the grace of God superbounds over sin. Like where great where sin increases, grace does he increase the more? And there's a lot of scriptures where people use that people use to give support to this idea of antinomianism. like Galatians two nineteen. Through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Romans 6.14 even, we're going to get to that. Sin will have no dominion over you. You're not under sin, you're under grace, right? You're not under law, you're under grace. Or Romans 7.4, he says, uh, brothers, you've died to the law through the body of Christ. So what's the relationship of the Christian to the law? Well, antinomianism says, well, we get to just break it because God's grace is magnified in our sin. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Okay, back to Romans 6 to understand how Paul unpacks this. He says, by no means. He says, by no means. So proper preaching of the gospel will produce this question. Maybe I should just sin. And the answer to that question is never. In the word, uh, in the Greek language, the by no means is mi genoito. It means, it's a euphemism. There's no like direct well, it kind of there is kind of a direct English translation. It could be may it never be or by no means in this case, but it's it's kind of a it's a kind of an epitaph, you know, heaven forbid, never ever. Don't be ridiculous. Like th- those kind of sayings. That's what Paul says. He says, "No." It, it, and then and then the explanation. How can we who died to sin, and notice that phrase, how can we who died to sin, sorry, died to sin still Live in sin. Then verse three, the question that Paul throws back at them is, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, this is going to be a very key word here today, baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. The death that we died with Christ was a death to sin. We are no more the person we were When we came into Christ Jesus and we were baptized into Christ through the Holy Spirit. That's what he's going to say. Verse four, he says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Okay, lots of imagery here around baptism. The words sin and death dominate these first four verses here, right? We're, we're dead to sin, we've been buried, baptism into death, right? The, Christ was raised, raised from the dead, that we might walk into the newness of life. So lots of understanding about what these four verses are. And I wanna say something very clearly. These are not talking about water baptism. This is not when you get water baptized, you die to sin and then you are raised to life in Christ Jesus, no, water baptism illustrates this reality but this these four verses are dry verses he is not making mention of the practice or the ordinance of baptism he's talking about what happened to you upon conversion and what happened to you upon conversion is there was a baptism now why water baptism is a perfect illustration of this is because your whole body goes into the water baptizo by the word by the way it was a it was once used in uh, nautical in the nautical sense, that it, when a ship went down under sea, it was baptized into the sea. Right, you are completely gone into that water, and should you stay under that water, you would die. Right, but it, you come out, and you are a new person. That's a symbol. Listen very carefully of what already happened to you in Christ Jesus. This. This idea that baptism saves, wrong. Not true. If that was true, the thief on the cross, water baptism, I mean, the thief of the cross does not go to heaven. Countless others of deathbed uh, salvations, people don't go, to, don't go to heaven because they did not perform the work of baptism. If we get saved because of baptism, it's adding a work to salvation, and salvation is not of works, even the work of water baptism. Water baptism points to our salvation, but there was something spiritually that happened inside of us that was a reality to us and has taken root in us forever. Now, the pickles. Let me explain why we have pickles on the show today. Because the word baptism uh, here in the Greek is baptizo. There's a shorter version of it called bapto, which means to be dipped. And we get this from a Greek poet Named Nicander, Nicander, sorry, in the uh, in 200 BC, it actually is from a recipe for making pickles from 200 BC, and he says the first step is to bapto, just dip the pickle into vegetable. I'm sorry, dip the vegetable, dip the c- cucumber, right, into boiling hot water. Then you baptizo in a vinegar solution to allow the pickle. Or the, again, the cucumber, to change and become totally different and cannot, this is the best part, go back to being a cucumber. It is forever a pickle. This is wonderful. So the words that Paul uses, we study the use of biblical words in the ancient world because it helps us unpack the meaning for us as we read and interpret scripture. When Paul says baptizo, He's saying you are in the vinegar solution. Now that, again, can't be referring to water baptism because you come out of the water. But when you are baptized into Christ through the Holy Spirit, this is what it is. You identify now with Christ Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. He dies to sin. You die to sin. He lives to God. You live to God. There is a a picture of this in... First Corinthians chapter 10, and I wanna put this here up on the screen if I can. First Corinthians chapter 10. Look what it says here. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized, baptizo, into Moses, in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Okay, look at what it says. They were baptized into Moses. Not into the water. The water did not touch them. They walked through on dry ground. That comes from Exodus 14, 21. Check it out. They went through on dry ground. But Moses, their identification now is with Moses by walking through those waters of baptism, by walking through the waters. They are no longer pharaohs. They belong to God, and Moses leads them to God. Once they get out of the water, remember that they go to Mount Sinai where God meets them face to face and they get scared and they send Moses up and yada, 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 and everything starts to (laughs) break down from there. But the point is back to what Paul says, that we are baptized into death. We are no longer, look, we're no longer alive to our old self. Now we are raised from the dead to Christ Jesus that we might walk in newness of life. What is a Christian? A Christian is a new person a Christian is not a changed person necessarily before he is a new person change follows transformation we are not trying to be Christians anybody who ever says to me I'm trying to be a Christian I'm trying to be Christian no you're not a Christian you don't try to be a Christian yes you can resist temptation you can fight against the temptations of the old life yes you do that but you don't try to be a Christian you are a christian you are made new you are immersed into christ and forever changed got it this is why the scriptures are filled with passages about who we are and who we are is a new creation second corinthians 5 17. therefore if anyone is in new is in christ he is a new creation the old has passed away what do we use that word for when people die oh they pass away behold the new has come if you're in christ your old person is dead and they can't come back to life again why does paul use death and life why does paul use burial right back in uh verse four what does he say we were buried the word buried is intentional because the word buried implies you're six feet under baby and if you if you're six feet under you ain't coming back out right that's that's the point separated from life that's what it means to be buried separated from the realm of the living So we are new creations, the old has passed away, the new has come. Galatians 6.15, neither neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, that's the law in terms of our new life, but a new creation. Ephesians 4.24, we put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.9, we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. Or Romans 7.6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we might serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. In other words, Christians do not change. And this is so important. You might want to write this down. You might want to text this to yourself. Christians do not change because they try to be Christians. Christians are changed and therefore the Lord starts to change them from the inside out. You cannot change yourself. That's what we talked about in the beginning of this episode. That's what we're going to talk about for the rest of this episode. Change does not begin with you. Change begins with Jesus. Change begins with identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. Having known that, you uh, you were lost, and you were in sin, and you were helpless before God, and you came to a saving knowledge of Jesus, and now your, your thoughts, your tastes, your values have been transformed when someone comes to jesus they suddenly want the scriptures they suddenly want less sin in their life and more christ in their life they suddenly want to be part of a church they want the things that god wants for them they want to forgive they want now again i'm i'm going to make this point clear later it doesn't mean that they always do it it just means that their hearts and their desires are changed this is why the bible says that out of the heart flows the springs of life uh, that's you know the, the heart has to be made new jesus said that you cannot get good fruit from a bad tree a tree can only produce the fruit that it is nor can a good fruit produce bad fruit a good tree produce bad fruit so you've got to change the root in order to see changed fruit and that is what god does for us in christ jesus when he baptized your your conversion was not just putting a hand up in church, walking down to the aisle, signing a form, filling out a connection card. Your conversion was when your heart was transformed, renewed, and immersed into Christ, and now you want Him, you desire Him. If this has not happened to you yet, you might not be a Christian, and guess what? That's a good place to come to because now you can come to Christ and repent and turn to Him and say, Jesus, I hand my life over to you, and you can become a Christian by grace through faith but there's no such thing as trying to be a Christian. There is either death to the old life or there is not. Let's go on so we can unpack this even more. Uh, Verse five. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know, again, it's not about what you do, it's about what you you know as a Christian. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, that's a key key term, might be brought to nothing, that's another key term, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So look at these terms because they are so important to understanding and unpacking our spiritual transformation that God sets us free from the power of sin in our lives and there's no going back. The body of sin has been brought to nothing. Now, Body of sin is kind of an interesting phrase because there's this old um, event, this old punishment from the ancient times that applies to this, and uh, R.C. Sproul talks about this. It was a barbaric form of punishment where if you murdered somebody in the ancient world, the sentence would sometimes be that they would take the rotting corpse of the person you murdered and tie them to your back so that wherever you went, you were reminded of what you did, and then as that body slowly decayed on your back you smelt it and you felt it and you dealt with all that garbage. That's, that might be what Paul has in mind when he says the body of sin is brought to nothing. In other words, Jesus takes that death off of you and is brought to nothing means, and this is in the Greek, uh, katargeo, meaning nullified or rendered powerless. Your old life through baptism into Christ has been made powerless over you. Now, notice that Paul does not say, you need to crucify yourself. He doesn't, does he? He says, you know that your old self was crucified. Whenever Christians say, I I gotta crucify the flesh, that's not in the Bible. There's no command in the Bible to crucify the flesh. You can't do that. Your flesh, your old nature was crucified. You can deny the flesh. You can resist the desires of the flesh. You can w- make war with the flesh, but you cannot crucify the flesh B- because it's about understanding your identity, not understanding, not not, not trying to grap- grapple onto some transformative program that'll change you. So uh, there's kind of like another way of of saying this. Uh, St. Augustine said it, that when it comes to the old self being crucified and then being raised to new life, a Christian has the freedom to not sin. A Christian has the freedom to not sin. So here's how Augustine puts it. Before the fall, Adam was posse pecare, meaning he was able to sin. That's before the fall. That's Genesis 1 and 2. Then after the fall, he became a slave to sin. And that means that in Latin is non posse, non pecare. Pekare, meaning not able not to sin. Adam brought this to the human race. We cannot break free from the power of sin. By the way, let me stop here for a second. Everything in Romans 6 about sin is not plural. It's singular. Sin, the power of sin. So we're not talking about what you do. We're talking about the controlling influence over your life. So make note of that. Back to The points. The current state for believers through Jesus Christ is posse non pecare, which means able not to sin. Because of Jesus, you are now able to resist sin, to say no to sin. That's why in the New Testament, Paul always unpacks the gospel truth for the hearers and then tells them what to do. In fact, you probably noticed, well, maybe you haven't, but let me point it out. That so far in Romans you have not been asked to do a single thing. We're six chapters in. You have not been asked to do a single thing. He is unpacking the truth of the gospel so that you internalize this. You understand who you are, and then you live from who you are. Okay, that right there is worth the price of admission. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel so you can get more of this good content coming into your spirits because it's going to help you. This is going to change you. So, the current state of of believers is. Passe non bacare, able not to sin. The glorified state where we're headed to is non-passe bacare, not able to sin. Notice how it transitions from able to sin and then through the total redemption that is in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in the new heavens, in the new earth, we would not be able to sin. So if you love sin, heaven's gonna be miserable for you. If you love sin, heaven's not the place for you. If you hate sin. And I'm talking about Christians who do sin. And there's every Christian sins. First John talks about this. If we say we have no sin, we make him out to be a liar. We've got to confess our sins. We've got to repent of our sins. We've got to turn from our sins. We've got to constantly fight off the evil temptations of our world. Right? But the relationship to sin, singular, has changed for you. Uh, I love this. What Grant Osborne writes in his commentary on Romans. Sin has now become a force tempting us rather than a power controlling us. That's good sin has become a force tempting us. So a Christian will always have a relationship to sin. It's just, it's a different relationship. Whereas you embraced it and lived in it and had no problem with it before, now it's that temptation that comes against you and you don't want to participate in it and it can't control you anymore. It cannot control the Christian. How do I know? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is uncommon or not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will always, or also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure. it. There's no temptation that a Christian cannot say no to. Now it doesn't mean we always say no to it. That's the battle of the, of the will. That's the, the, the war of the flesh and the spirit. It's always going to happen. But understanding who you are is where change starts. Understanding who you are And what has happened to you upon conversion is where change starts. So this should winnow the churchgoers from the Christians, because just going to church does not make you a Christian. A lot of people think, I'm trying to be a Christian. I'm I'm trying to be a Christian, so I'm going to go to church. I'm going to try to do good things. I'm going to try to be a better person. And then you fail miserably because you can't do that. It's only works. It's only trying harder. It's only—you don't go to church for the joy of the Lord. You go to church for the— potential reward that the Lord will give you. You don't, you don't pray and read your Bible because you love God's word. You want God's word inside your heart. You do that because you want, you know, the goodies from God again, sanctified selfishness. So when there's a transformation and a whole heart transformation, you've been baptized into Christ, raised new life, old life, buried. There is a transformation in your relationship to sin. Now, Paul goes on in verse eight. He says, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. That's true for us as well. For the death he died to sin once for all. For the death he died, he died to sin. I didn't say that clearly the first time. I said it clearly the second time. The death he died, he died to sin. Does anything stick out to you when it says he died to sin? And I emphasize two for a reason. Because we always say that Christ died for sin. Mm-mm. He died to sin. He died to, at the cross, sins, the sins of all who would believe in Christ were laid on Jesus. And he died with those sins to sin. That, he didn't live in them. He died to them. Now, go back to the text. Once for all, that these these uh, these final terms that Paul keeps coming to are important because it's not that we have to go back and kind of re-up Christ's sacrifice. That's what the Catholics do. We have to re-sacrifice Jesus. Got have to have the mass, the Eucharist. Got to redo it again because you know what? It wasn't, effic- it wasn't efficacious enough the first time. No, once for all. And then it says, "But the life he lives, he lives to God." So he died to sin; he lives to God. So now, check this out, verse eleven. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to get there in just a moment but I want you to make sure that you're understanding one key term. We have died with Christ. We will live with Christ, okay? We'll never die to sin again. Death no longer has power over us because we are in Christ Jesus. Are you picking up a theme that to be a Christian is not to follow a certain table of commandments from a certain church? The, reason, the, 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 um, the unfortunate response to the gospel of grace in many churches and in many denominations is to load people up with a bunch of commandments, man-made commandments, to make sure that they control them and make them good little Christians. So it depends on your upbringing. Like I was brought up in the Pentecostal church pentecostals have a lot of holiness background holiness meant that you had to mortify the flesh put to death the flesh you know crucify the flesh and and you've got to live a certain way so no r-rated movies no rock and roll music no smoking no drinking no chewing no no doing anything with girls on the side like that and if you do those things it shows that you are actually saved and therefore you're doing better you know in the eyes of god and then he will accept you no no, the reason why those laws and the reason why those rules are imposed upon people in church is because churches are afraid or, or they, not afraid. They, they have abandoned the power of the gospel. Go back to Romans chapter one. It's the power of salvation to all who believe. There is power to the gospel. Power to change you. Rules don't change you. If anything, rules just make you want to break the rules. Amen? Put a high five up in the chat if that's you. Rules make me want to change, break the rules. By the way, subscribe while you're sitting there watching this. And until we get this, until we get this, we will forever be chasing down different kinds of rules. So people will come out of a holiness movement and then they'll go to maybe a different kind of movement where it's different rules. So uh, you, know, you maybe go to a more liberal church where the rules are more about you know, care for the earth and uh, you know, love your neighbor, do nice things for nice people and, and help old ladies with the groceries at the grocery store and, and doing those works of service are, are really what it's about. No, that's just, again, works, it's a different form of works righteousness. We died with Christ. We are raised with Christ. Here's what I mean. Doctrine time again, two for the price of one today. All right, doctrine time is this. that We gotta discuss union with Christ. And that means that there is this mystical union between you and Jesus that has transpired upon conversion wherein you share in Christ's life, his merits, and his power over sin. You share that with Jesus. You become united with him. It is so powerful that when Jesus, when you, when God looks at you, He sees Jesus in you. That's why it says, "Put on the Lord Jesus." That's why when they sin in the garden and remember what they did, they heard the sound of the Lord and they go off. They hump, they jump into the bushes and they start trying to cover up. What are they trying to do? They're trying to hide their sin, their shame. Jesus clothed us in the garments of righteousness. His garments are wrapped around us. That's why that in the um, uh, in the uh, Old Testament, there was the uh, day of uh, atonement where they would take the two lambs and they would slaughter one and put the blood over the other one, cover them in the blood, and then they would send it off. They would send it off into the wilderness. So This is who we are in Christ. We are covered in the blood, united with Christ. When God sees us, he sees Christ's life. He sees Christ's merits and he sees Christ's power. That is why in Ephesians chapter three, it says that he has this power at work in us that is able to do far more abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. You can't even imagine what you are going to be in Christ Jesus because his power is that glorious over you. Amen. Union with Christ couple of verses of scripture galatians two twenty. i have been crucified with christ past tense it doesn't say i'm trying to crucify the old man no i have been crucified with christ it has happened in the past it is no longer i who live but christ who lives in me and the life i now live i live in the flesh uh, the life i now live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me identification With Christ. Colossians 3, 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things below. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is such an important text to have in your heart, such an important concept to have in your heart, in your understanding of who you are. No longer alive to sin, dead to it. It does nothing for you. It only hurts you. Okay? So, fine, uh, summing up here, Paul says these last lines. Uh, therefore, well, well, first actually, we've got to go back. I'm going to go back. Hold on a second, because I, I skipped over it and I shouldn't have. Let me go back to this passage. So you must also consider yourselves. This is the first, by the way, imperative command in the book of Romans, verse 11. This is what you do. You consider yourself at home. Oliver, anybody? (laughs) Consider yourself one of the family. (laughs) I don't know. I'm I'm feeling spry today. Maybe it was the pickles. Consider, you've got to think of yourself this way. This is your new identity in Christ Jesus and there's no going back. Now, so pastor, you're telling me that's all I got to do? That's it? That's it? I'm done? Good? Good to go? No, because Paul doesn't do that. There are things we've got to do To see the transformation happen, the change, the change after the new life, we got to feed that new life. We got to serve that new life. Got to love that new life. Cultivate that new life, just like a tree. So he says in verse twelve: Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Notice the phrase "mortal body," because in your flesh—that's that's that's a—that's another phrase for flesh. In your in your flesh, don't let sin reign. Don't let sin have control. In your flesh to make you obey its passions do not present your members okay that word members just means your body parts do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness but present yourselves to god as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to god as instruments of righteousness now please remember here that paul is talking to christians and so he says look you're going to have the struggle you're gonna to have to struggle to make sure that you don't present your members to sin. So Christians do struggle with sin. It's just that the relationship and the power of sin has been changed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would he say that in verse 13 if, if Christians didn't sin? There is this false Christianity, well, I wouldn't even call it Christianity. A lot, again, holiness movement. Um, the Methodists used to do this. John Wesley used to do this, that you can attain perfection in this life. You cannot, you cannot. You will struggle until this flesh is in the ground. And I would venture to say that you struggle with sins in ways that you don't even realize that you struggle with sin because sin is that inherent in your fleshly body. But back to this idea that you don't let it reign. That's the key word in verse 12. You don't let it reign in your mortal body. That is, you don't let it be king. Jesus is king. And you have the power through the gospel, through the Holy Spirit, to say no to sin having power and yes to Jesus having power. All that to get to finally what it meant. <laughs> Okay, what it meant is that we are new people with a new king and a new leader, right? A new reality, and the old is gone. And then, look, we're in the process from that moment forward of transforming into Christ. Again, back to Romans eight thirty or 29, predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ perhaps a picture from israel's old testament narrative will help so here's a picture i want to put this whole thing up on the screen just gonna just gonna vomit it up on the screen there for you in the beginning the people of israel were in egypt where pharaoh ruled pharaoh's a picture of the devil or the god of this world he was literally called god in ancient egypt he, ma- he ruthlessly made the people of Israel, this is Exodus one thirteen. he ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. They had no choice. They could not not be slaves. See the picture? And they made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. In Egypt, before Christ, we were slaves. To this world, to the God of this world, we cannot get out. They could not get out. Ladies and gentlemen, did Israel obey their way out of Egypt? No. God sent a deliverer into their Egypt and brought them out of their Egypt. That's the prophet. The prophet is Moses. Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen. The Lord, will, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Moses says from among me, um, from among you. Now that is that is a prophecy of Samuel and it's a prophecy of Jesus. The S- Samuel comes as a prophet like the uh, um, Moses. Also, Elijah comes as a prophet like Moses. Elisha does, but then the final prophet is Jesus Christ. And it says this it is to him you shall listen. We hear the word of Jesus. Faith comes, we're going to get to this in Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. We listen. Jesus will say in John 10, my sheep know my voice. We hear it. It resonates with our hearts. It draws us out of Egypt. We get into the wilderness though. And then God assigns the priests to serve. Well, uh, it says in Exodus 28, 41, you shall put them uh, on Pharaoh, um, on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with them. These are the garments of priestly ordinance, and you shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. The priest serves. So what does Jesus do for us? He becomes our true prophet who speaks the word to us, declares God's word of deliverance. He becomes our true priest who mediates before us and offers the final sacrifice for sins. And then it takes a while, doesn't it? Before they get to David, David is their king, the true king who loves the Lord. It says in 1 Samuel 16, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? He says, fill your horn with oil, go, I'll send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And you can go back over the life of David from last season on the deep end. But listen, God raises up the prophet to deliver through speaking the word of God, a priest to serve and mediate between the people, the sacrifices, and a king to rule. Jesus is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our king. He is a prophet because it says in John 8:36, if the son sets you free, You shall be free indeed. He is our great high priest. Hebrews 4, 14. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. And Jesus is our king. It says in Revelation 17, verse 14, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So here's the question. Are you ready for this? Hot question. Where are you? Where are you in this diagram? still enslaved to sin, can't change, can't get out. You hear the Bible, doesn't make any sense to you. You hear the Bible, doesn't do anything for you. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus Christ died for your sins, was raised to life for your justification. Repent and believe that. Okay, that's the word that brings you into the wilderness. Now, here's where a lot of Christians are. A lot of Christians are in the wilderness. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you're so bold, put your hand up and say, yeah, I feel like I'm in the wilderness. The wilderness is where we learn how to trust God, where we learn how to, you know, feed on his word, where we learn how to long for what he wants for our lives. Wilderness people are, you're saved, but stumbling. You're stumbling into those old Egyptian habits. You're still going back, back and forth. A lot of Christians like that. Okay. God sets you up. The priest. He's going to minister to you. He's going to draw you closer and closer. That's what the priests really did. They literally brought the people into the house of worship to offer their sacrifices and experience the goodness of God. When they offered sacrifices, they actually ate the meat. They were supposed to eat it with joy in their hearts and and experience the presence of the Lord. David is where the nation starts to take over territory in the promised land. It takes them a long time, and David has to fight tons of battles. And some Christians are there. David, Jesus, is ruling, and he's fighting that battle right now. He's fighting that battle over your fear issues, and he wants to take that ground from from the devil. He wants to take that ground from your enemy. Um, he is fighting that battle over your uh sexual life, and you are struggling with lust, but he's going to battle for you and go to work for you and deliver you and claim that territory for you, uh, for money. Like some, some people, you're struggling with greed. You don't give. You don't tithe, and the Lord Jesus is going to Fight that battle in your life until you surrender. Some of you is jealousy. Some of you is envy. Some of you is, uh, you are materialistic. And the Lord has to take that ground in your life. You have a true David who rules and reigns over your life and progressively takes more and more uh, area, ground from your old life and delivers them into the new life that is in Christ Jesus. I love what James Montgomery Boyce says. He says, a reigning monarch is a triumphant monarch. If grace is reigning in us, grace is advancing its conquest over sin. Christians sin, but they are not defeated by sin and they do not continue in it. Amen. Isn't that good? Now, let's get to why it matters. Why it matters, why it matters is of infinite importance because you are no longer who you were in Christ Jesus. And I want to put this on the screen. Jesus died not just for what we did. He died for who we are. For the death he died, verse 10, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. He transferred you from the dominion of sin and put you under the dominion of God's grace and grace reigns in you. John Stott says it like this. This is fantastic. He says a believer, uh, a believer can no more go back to the old life than an adult can go back to his childhood, a married man to his bachelorhood, or a discharged prisoner back to his prison cell. You wouldn't want to, and you shouldn't want to. You're, You're freed. You're different. You can try to go back to your old life. It won't work. So the believers, this is why it matters, number two, the the believers' changed relationship with sin has transpired through the gospel. Sin no longer dominates your life. Sin will be a force against from the outside, but never a power within you. It can't control you. It can tempt you. It can't control you. Therefore, turn, offer your members to God. Turn from sin and follow after Christ. Let us never believe that all we do now is just believe and wait until Jesus comes or wait until we die. No, no, no. That, back to verse 13. Do not present your members to sin, but present yourselves to God. So you don't just avoid sin. You don't just avoid sin. No, no, no. You follow in obedience Jesus Christ. If you, now, if you don't do this as a Christian, you're going to be miserable i'm telling you you're gonna be miserable and there's no more miserable person on the planet than a christian who does not work out their salvation because all they do is struggle with avoiding sin then they fall back into sin and they feel miserable about it because you can't live in sin because you're dead to it now you're dead to it it has no joy no ever no lasting pleasure anymore has short-term pleasure but no lasting pleasure so you gotta hand yourself over to god as instruments your members your body christianity is active you hand this body over to god how do i do that how do i do that okay do not avoid what you should not do follow up to what you should do five things make god's word a priority in your life that pertains to how you handle what you hear what are you listening to what are you focus on? what are your what is your attention on your mind on dwell on the word of god prayer that commu- that means communicate with your father regularly now this has to deal with your tongue You speak to God. You might have to complain to God. You have to offer everything up to God. Just let him know what's on your mind. Cast your anxieties upon him for he cares for you. Community, the fellowship of the saints. This has to do with who we associate with, who are our friends. Who do we hang out with? If you you hang out with people that don't love the Lord, you're going to be miserable. I'm telling you, you're going to be miserable. Okay. Uh, Worship, love the Lord daily. This is what this has to do with our hearts. Okay, so now we you see how we're offering our bodies, our members, the word, our ears, communion, prayer, our tongues, fellowship of the saints, our location, <laughs> love the Lord, our hearts, our honor, what we honor Him. I mean, what we honor with our hearts and ministry, what we do with our hands, serve others in the love of Christ. This is how you see the transformation, the change happen intentionally as a Christian. You don't just avoid sin. You embrace the practices that you're made for. Look, you're made for God's word. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. You can't follow anyone else. You're made to love the Lord. You're made to be in the believers, in the fellowship of believers. You're made for this. That's why Hebrews says, don't get into the habit of not fellowshipping together. You've got to do it more and more. You're made to serve. This is why Christians, when they serve in their local church or they serve their brothers and sisters in Christ, they immediately sense that God is at work in their lives. This is what you're made for. And it makes all the difference in your development as as a believer. Now, last question before we close out. What if I sin? What if I sin? What if I get caught in sin? Well, there's a a remedy for that, confession. There's also another remedy in Galatians chapter 6 where you have believers who help you come out of that sin and restore you. But here's the deal. If a Christian sins, number one, they will not enjoy it. God will make you miserable. You might enjoy it temporarily, but he will bring to you a crushing state of defeat after sin. Number two, and this is going to be hard for some of you to hear. God might kill you. <laughs> it's totally not. I know you're not going to like hearing this, but when a Christian gets caught up into a sin this you know become like dominant god would just put them to death you say where is that in the bible first corinthians 11:30 when paul is talking about the they don't discern the lord's supper and he says that's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died some of the believers have died because god just said yeah this is going to destroy you anyway so i'm just going to kill you and get it over with and bring you home god does that all the time uh number 3 if you can sin and enjoy it and not regret it you're not saved you're not saved let me me unpack it a little bit more clearly. If you can harbor unforgiveness and you long to pay back people for what they did to you, you're not saved. If you commit adultery and you don't have remorse and you feel totally okay with it, you're not saved. If you are consumed with getting more, having more, taking what's not yours and you want to do that and you don't care about the consequences, you're not saved. I'm telling you, Your heart is still attached to the things of this world. Now, why it matters. Okay, real quick, we're going to sum this up and close this episode out. Why it matters is because you are not saved to get to heaven alone. You are saved to change. Isn't that great? You are saved to change. This is why, again, Paul will unpack the gospel for 11 chapters in Romans before he gets into what we do. Check it out. That's the outline. The outline of Romans is this. 11 chapters of who we are. Four chapters, five, five chapters, well four because the last chapter is really just him saying greet this, greet that, greet this person. So the, the four chapters, 11, uh, 12, 13, 14, and 15 Romans are what we do. 11 chapters of who we are, four chapters of what we do. Ephesians, three chapters of what we are, three chapters of what we do. Colossians, two chapters of what we are, two chapters of what we do. It's over and over again. The, re- the reality, this is how you teach people, this is how you teach God's people. This is who you are, this is who you are, this is who we are. Now live like it. Only live up to what you have already attained, Philippians chapter. 3 verse 16 says so we are under new management sin used to rule in our hearts and lives now Christ rules what do I do when I'm tempted you say heavenly father in the name of Jesus let Jesus have control right now because you have a new identity and a new priority Philippians 3 16 only let us live up to what we have already attained isn't that great isn't that powerful when I am tempted to sin you turn to the Lord you say father that old flesh that old person, that old me, is at it again. Can you please take authority over this temptation in Jesus' name? And I guarantee you, he's going to give you the power. That's what 1 Corinthians ten thirteen is all about. He's going to give you the power to endure that temptation. So I had this viewer question come in a long time ago when we were in chapter three, and now I just finally want to get to it because I finally answered it. The question was, just watch Romans 3 on Deep Dive. I wanted to get clarity. Understanding God is the cure and asking for deliverance is a continuous action we take as Christians? yes. Yes, full stop. And the answer is right here in Romans 6 to 8. To know who you are, uh, released from the domain of sin, raised to the domain of grace, and God has exceedingly abundant abundant power available to you to walk in newness of life. Isn't that good? Isn't that wonderful? Thanks for being here. Check me out over there at timhashlife.com all the social media channels to match live. Go over to this website and buy my book. I would love that. We'd go through Joshua and Caleb's life, entering into God's promises for you. There's also Tumblers and other things. Shirts are coming. 10 Questions with Tim is the first Thursday of every month, although I don't know if we're going to be doing that in February. Hopefully we'll make time for it. We'll try to. And of course, the deep end is every Tuesday night at 730 where we bring you content, biblical content on this channel about social issues, political issues, the world. And on this night, Wednesday night, we talk about the Bible verse by verse. Is there anything better? I mean, really, is there anything better than just walking verse by verse through the book of Romans? I'm having a ball. I hope you are too. I look forward to seeing you next time on the channel. God bless, guys. Take care.